0: Hi, everybody. My name's Nick Beard. I'm the audio-visual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Sometimes it's great to meet me. Sometimes it's like, how do you follow that, right? Um, Open your Bibles to Matthew 25. Why don't we read the Word together? This is a line that I think was spoken out over you, Janet, that's actually from this parable. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Have you, you haven't read this yet, have you, Brian? Uh, Katie. Oh, Katie read it, okay. So it's that line, um, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, Dave. Enter into the joy of your rest. I would ask you to pray that over our sister Janet, that she would um, hear that we say well done let me pray for joy and rest for you. Let's pray. Let me pray for us, and we've already read the word, so let's, uh, let's dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for its power in our lives, and thanks that we see it lived out. In ordinary people infused with your extraordinary presence, people like Janet. Let me pray your blessing over this time now as we dig in. Align our vision with heaven's vision please we love you and we thank you and all God's people said amen so uh, about seven months ago my wife comes home and it was a day off and she'd been out and about and stopped by this resale shop and she shows me a painting like this same painter different painting but really like this uh, by a painter we didn't even know named Homer Costello and she goes I found this at the resale shop and it was dirt cheap and I think it's worth more and I don't know if I like it or not, but it's a great painting. I think she had no idea. So we went to where you go when you don't have an idea, Google. And um, sure enough, she paid like 70 bucks for it. That Homer Costello painting, the original, which this was, are worth like $900. And, and before that, I was like, ah, I don't know, guys, it's kind of ugly. And, and After we went to Google, I'm like, I like that painting. I like it a lot. Let's put it in our bedroom. Let's put it in our front entryway. Like, like, Google's value changed everything for what I valued it, okay? That happens in a lot of different areas. And today, as we get into this story, um, what Jesus is going to do in creating the greatest stories ever told, the parables, his desire for every one of you, and yes, every one of you, whether you are following Christ or just a guest, Uh, If you're not a Christ follower, if you don't identify as such, I want you to lean in for the next 25 minutes-ish so you can discover what it is that Jesus is inviting you into. If you are, this is so key because the whole point of this series is not just to explain parables. Carlos said it well about four weeks ago. The greatest stories ever told aren't the parables. They're us as followers of Christ. We are living breathing stories of God's goodness. Exhibit A, Janet McLean, and the way that she has lived out who Jesus is through her, right? We all see Jesus, if you know Janet, so much better because of who she is. And what's gonna create a great story is not rules and regulations. It's certainly not seeing God as someone against joy or a rigid taskmaster. We'll see all of this in the parable. It's seeing God for who he is, aligning our vision with heaven's vision, like our little experience with the Homer, um, Homer Costello painting, seeing the true value and letting that inform our value. And now it didn't make us keep the painting. We, we, we still got rid of it, but, um, but at least we saw what we were getting rid of, right? You're valuable. This moment is valuable. I've been here 21 years. Every gathering is unique. We will never all be in the same room together again. That makes this a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. That's how heaven sees it. And there's going to be a ripple effect when we get to the most important part of this gathering, which is when we say the benediction, we break and go be the church. There's going to be a ripple effect that will ripple all the way into eternity. That's how heaven sees it. Maybe you thought it was just a church service you were coming to. But Jesus wants to go, oh, it's so much more valuable than that. And so he tells these parables, stories, and now we're at the very end of his life, and this week and next week we're gonna read uh, the two last parables Jesus taught. The cross is in the shadow. I'll tee it up today, and and then next week you get uh, a hero of mine, actually, Bayana Chunga from Malawi will be here. He's here right now. Can you wave to us? Can we welcome Bayana? He's not feeling good right now. Glad you're here, bro. And he'll he'll talk about the other. But here's the context. You can never read scripture outside of context, so let's get it. Matthew chapter 24, here it is. Matthew 24, near the end of his life. I'll start in verse one, it's not on the screen, but it says this, Jesus left the temple and was walking away. There's the context, geographical. Every word in there is important, okay? And to the Jews, to his disciples, the temple still, to this day, was everything, right? Even there's just a wall left. But you look at these massive stones, it's huge, it's awe-inspiring. And so they, they see the temple and, and Jesus, uh, they ask him, um, they came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. And, and what were they doing? They are going, this is huge, this is a, a man-made monument, this is holy, to this day, that temple, that wall is the holiest place on planet Earth for the Jews. Now Jesus is gonna do a vision alignment. They see one thing, he sees another. And the secret to living a great story, to being the greatest story ever told, is vision alignment. Seeing your life, relationships, your stuff from heaven's perspective. So Jesus says, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be here left on the other. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, Some PCCers will be there in March. Literally, we'll see the fulfillment of that. There is a literal stone rubble pile of the original temple that still 2,000 years later has not been put back together. And then if you're writing your Bibles, write the word number 60 from down and as. It's about a 60 minute walk, 60 minutes expire, maybe, maybe more. But if you were to walk it directly, Jesus leaves the temple area, goes through the gates of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley to his favorite spot on the planet, the Mount of Olives. And he's sitting down and like it is in life, as you get closer to death, Your world just shrinks and Jesus' world is shrinking. Geographically, he's no longer in the Galilee, he's just in Jerusalem. Now he's on the Mount of Olives, he won't even leave there under his own volition. He'll be tied up and arrested and sent to the cross. His world is getting smaller and smaller, but he's still concerned about other people because that's how good Jesus is. Sitting on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? You're coming back? We wanna know when. They still don't get everything that's going on, but uh, that is the key question, right? And five times in Matthew 24 and 25, and you can read it yourself, five times he answers that question, when I'm coming back. He goes through teaching in 24 and stories in 25, and I'll give you the answer, you wanna hear it? Here's the answer, when's Jesus coming back? Jesus, here's his answer, that's not for you to know. I want you to be concerned with a greater question than why, uh, when. Here's the question Jesus says, I want you to have on, the, on, on your minds, because this will actually motivate you more than the when question, you ready? How? How should I live in light of you coming back? I don't know when you're coming back, and I may die on planet Earth myself before you come back. Either way, I'm gonna face you face to face. How should I live today well in light of that experience? How? Um, And then he goes into these three stories, and I've summarized chapter 25 on the bottom of page one on your notes, but here it is on the screen for you. He tells them the story of the 10 virgins. Can you go back one, two, please? Thanks, Ron. One more. There you go. 10 virgins, be prepared. How should you live in light of my return? Be prepared for my return. Uh, You came into this world with nothing. You're leaving this world with nothing. Everything in between is what I give you. Use it to the max for God's glory and for the good of people. Be prepared. Secondly, be productive. My return does not give you an excuse to be lazy, to quit work, to be a sloth. Get after it and be productive and then the sheep and the goats. Be proactive, be proactive. And so he goes into these stories. We're gonna focus on the middle one. By will come next week and focus on the third one. Turn to page two, let's get some vision alignment. How should we live in light of that? How do, what needs to be aligned? Here's the first aspect of our lives. The Christian life, the Christian life, our days. How do you see them? How did you see coming in today? What motivated you? I'm glad you're here, but what motivated you to come in? What did you expect coming here today? Jesus said this. He starts the parable, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says this. Again, it, and by it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, life under the reign of Jesus. Life with Jesus calling the shots. Life with Jesus as our authority. Can I ask you? Is that, uh, okay, I want to ask this in a a non-condemning way. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus reign, Jesus calling the shots, even if you're not, does that sound inviting to you? That's rhetorical. Or is it drudgery? Word on the street is it's drudgery, I get that. Here's my concern. For too many words in the church, it seems like drudgery. The kingdom of God. Life under the reign of Jesus. He came not to make your life a drudgery. He came to give us life. He says again, it will be like a man going on a, what's the next word? I couldn't get past that word, journey. A journey, and so I need to go on the side for a moment and ask, does that word capture our relationship with Jesus? It's a journey. Every day packed and pregnant with eternal opportunity that we won't even see the end result of. Every day's a gift. I think for too many, and certainly this is the religious system I grew up in and I wasn't a follower of Christ, following Jesus was about do's and don'ts. It was boring. It was like those late night infomercials for a veggie Vitamix or something where you're like, dang, I know I should have my vegetables, but that's not fun. And I guess that's what Jesus came to do, squeeze all the fun out of my life. That's not the offer on the table, men and women. He didn't come to suck the fun out of your life. He came to give us life. And he didn't come to give you the right answers. He didn't come to give you a a little lift on your already nice life. He didn't come to give you bigger and better. He came to give you a life that matters, a journey that matters. Uh, I was thinking about this, this was ricocheting in my mind uh, on Tuesday, and I called um, a friend of mine who's mid-70s and something's going on in his body and they don't know what it is. And when you're mid-70s and doctors don't know what it is, that can raise a lot of fears, right? So I'm talking to this person and I said, how you doing? And, and we talked and then he said, you know what, I'll be honest with you. He said, I'm on an adventure with Jesus. because I see this as an adventure, yeah. He's leading me into a dark forest. That's not pleasant. And it certainly isn't pleasant what's going on in my body. But I trusted him first when I was in college and gave my life to him. He hasn't let me down in 60 years. And he's not gonna let me down now. So how am I doing? I'm following Jesus on the adventure. I didn't tell him anything about this message. He's not even here today. But I thought, oh my gosh, one of the benefits of shepherding a five-generation church. You know, at 855, uh, it's more of our builder generations, the people that took out the second mortgages so we could have this and have that, who really apply this message. there in that service, and I see it every week. They're coming in, in um, walkers, and they're coming in electric wheelchairs, and, and like this, their life is getting more and more and more diminished. And yet for some of them, their joy is just increasing as the diminishment comes. Not because they're in denial, but because Jesus is meeting them in the hard. Why is this so important? Listen, um, having the right answers leads only to a life of playing it safe. We don't sacrifice our time or money or social values or sexual values or stuff for right answers and rules following Jesus on an adventure, oh my gosh, we'll sign up for that. And we'll follow him in the unknown into the hard to make what's wrong right on this planet and to make what's wrong right for eternity. Following Jesus and taking the lead, it's a journey. Is that how you see your Christian life? Getting up this morning, I tell you this all the time, really early, and you don't need me. I mean, plenty of people do this, but like it's inconvenient. But what motivates people to get up early and to meet with God early in the morning and pray over their day and pray over their family, Jesus does. It's like he's sitting there like I do as a father and and I'm the first one up and I go into my daughter's rooms. I just love watching them sleep. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna cover you in your day. I'm going to do battle for you right now. So that when you wake up, you have no idea what God has in store for you. That's how Jesus looks at you. See, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, that's not a great story. And that's what you bought into following Christ. I'm sorry it's a lie. Following Christ is a journey where Jesus invites us to look more like him from the inside out. Uh, I read a guy I love, my favorite, maybe my favorite author. His name's John Eldridge, and he wrote a book called Epic, Tremendous Book. And in there, he has this quote. He said, Something's been calling you. I just read this this week. All the days of your life, you've heard it on the wind and in the music you love, in the laughter and the tears, most especially the stories that have captured your heart. You you think about that, this weekend, uh, this summer our family saw Lion King. I've seen that thing like 30 times, we saw it live. I'm bawling at the end, why? Because it's a greater story illustrating my story, redemption, good evil, good triumphing, right? All that. He says there's a secret written on your heart. It's a valiant hero lover, that's God, and his beloved, that's us. An evil one, that's the demonic force, And a great battle to fight. That's pretty much our existence. A journey and a quest. More dangerous and more thrilling than you could ever imagine. And then Eldridge says, this is the gospel of Christianity. And friends, that is better news than anything being produced out on the peninsula today. And the lie is we don't really, uh, the the challenge is we we have a hard time believing that. We think out there there's better stories. And I'm not downplaying at all what we do Monday to Saturday. I'm just saying Monday to Saturday is a leverage point for the greater story. It's a journey. So do you see it that way? Do you see why I just had to just take that one word and stop and go, oh my gosh. And again, if you wonder what that looks like, exhibit A is Janet McLean. Think of the journey God has taken her on. Who is not a beneficiary? Who is a beneficiary of that journey? Look around, Janet. So worth it, what you did, all that sacrifice. Let's keep reading. So a man goes on a journey. What's our role in the journey? Look what it says. He called his, what's the next word? Servant. Uh, the NIV went soft because they're trying to make it uh, digestible in our culture. The word is actually slave. Uh, in the Roman Empire, two thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. They were property. Uh, some some of the slaves like were doctors and accountants and held high positions. And they chose. Some chose slavery because it was a better life than what they could live. Uh, so it wasn't all bad in that sense. Uh, but. A slave is a person who's legally owned by someone else whose entire livelihood and purpose is determined by the master. In other words, our role in the journey, Jesus rides in the driver's seat, we ride shotgun. And we follow him. Uh, The early Celtic Christians, have you heard that term? Celtic Christians, 7th century, back when there was just one church and the church made its way to Ireland, the Celtic Christians, they got it right. You know who they, what they called the Holy Spirit? This is so awesome, they called him the wild goose. <laughs> they saw in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit, yes, was a dove, but then they read about how he was a blazing fire, he was a shredding wind, he was glorious and completely uncontrollable. And so they would say to one another, we're following the wild goose on the journey. It's what led, has anyone heard of a guy named St. Patrick? How many of you know he wasn't Irish? Yeah, he was British. St. Patrick was captured as a teenager, not a follower of Christ, captured as a teenager and sent to Ireland as a slave. The bad kind of there's no good kind of slave, but he was he was a slave and he worked and worked and tried to escape and finally did and went back to the safety of england and then one night he had a dream as he became a follower of christ and in the dream an irish person was saying patrick come back and share the gospel with me see the wild goose was calling patrick on the adventure if it was about rules and regulations patrick would have chose safety but Patrick became the greatest evangelist to the Irish people in history. And leave it to the world to put a beer in his hand and make his holiday a thing for getting drunk. So un-Patrick-like. What got Patrick into a different state was not alcohol. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the wild goose. See why it's so important that we see the Christian life right? This this just takes rules and regulation, do's and don'ts, and puts it in a whole different category. Focus on Jesus and let him change you from the inside out. How do you see the Christian life? What's driven this ministry is seeing the world and seeing our culture and seeing the injustice and, and pain as God sees it, not as humans see it. It's the only reason we've been who we are for close to 70 years now. Now, quickly in our remaining time, when to get to the second one, I'm not going to get to the third point. You can study heaven on your own. Uh, the third one, how we, second one, how we view God, verse 14. Okay, First vision alignment, how you view the Christian life, that will help you live into a greater story. This will boost you into a whole different realm. Again, verse 14, how we view God. It will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants, and what's the next word, and entrusted his wealth to them now obviously Jesus is telling a parable he is the master we are the servants. he goes on the journey and this is crazy he entrusts something extremely valuable to us that's the whole point um, have I ever told you uh my worst Christmas ever in 52 years no I'm 53 in 53 years I hate growing old Come back with me to 1978, I'm 14 years old. Uh, I'm not a Christian, it's December 23rd. I'm in Novato, uh, near where we were yesterday. I'm at a party with a friend, a bunch of friends. Uh, there's, uh, I'm not taking any alcohol, I'm completely sober, uh, but my, my curfew is coming. And I'm like, I gotta go home. And I turned to Bob, who was across the room, who drove me to the party, he's a senior. And I said, Bob, I gotta go home. And he reaches in his pocket, And this is how I remember it. It wasn't really like this, but throws his keys in the middle of the party. And as the keys are going up, he says, you know how to drive, right? And I was completely undefined. The best thing Jesus did for me when I came to Christ in 1982 was define me who I really am. So I wanted to become whatever that party thought I should be. And if they think I should drive, I'd never been behind the wheel of a car ever. I caught the keys and said, yeah, I know how to drive. And Pat came with me, he had his driver's license and I got behind the wheel and drove that car to Novato and on stone drive, put it right through the fence of my neighbors. That's December 23rd, broke the axle in the car. And then I faced the wrath of Bob Gadini, my dad. And he, you know, he had wrath for me but he really turned to Bob, Simon, the guy who helped me the car and said, what are you doing? It's like who puts a car in the hands of a 14 year old? Don't you know someone could have been hurt? I want you to know that when we get to that word in trust, God isn't like that. He's given something incredibly valuable to you. A lot of things. And here's what he's saying, you got what it takes. And that's why I'm giving you this. You've got what it takes. Sarah, can I pick on you? Sorry. You have no choice now. Come, come up here for a second, Sarah. Really, like, sorry. Can we give Sarah a hand? I didn't This is Sarah Keneally. She's a mom and she's amazing. And God has entrusted to her four daughters an incredible opportunity. If you don't know this, but we, our daughters go to the same high school and there was a parent night. I watched you interacting with parents there in areas where maybe or maybe not Christ is not known. I'm going, this is amazing. And God has given you that much that makes her holy and amazing and creates an ethic around her and her priorities for what she does with her life. So that tomorrow morning, if you drive uh, McKenna, do you drive her to yes, Okay, yes. you can say, you know what? This is not an ordinary day. God has given me this daughter and this ride and God, I wanna use it to the most because you've given me this opportunity. It's amazing. Can we give her a hand? Sorry, <laughs> thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Same is true with you. My goal is for you tomorrow morning, when you go on your high school campus or middle school campus or place of work that you would open the opposite door and go, gosh, I'm not here because I'm so smart. I'm not here because I went to the right school or because I interview so well or because I have that degree and whatever. God's given me this. He's entrusted it to me. God helped me use it in such a way that there's a ripple effect that goes into eternity. I am the aroma of Christ spread through me. God, the fragrance of the knowledge of you. See, that will help you live into a greater story. And then you would take it to the next level where you're praying for people that you're interacting with or you're taking your Google Calendar and you're going, God, I see these appointments, but these are yours. What do you want to do with them? How do you want to direct them? Nothing is random in the Christian life. So what did he give? He gave some five bags of gold, some two bags of gold, some one bag of gold. Um, The old English translations called it talents. Have you ever heard of that, the parable of the talents? I actually have a picture of a talent, let me explain this to you. Uh, There's a talent. That's a 75-pound weight. And in the first century, they would put a talent on a scale, and they put a bag on the other and would fill it with gold until it leveled out. So a bag of gold is, you do the math, 75 pounds worth of gold. That's valuable stuff. Uh, This isn't just Sarah Keneally. What's she worth? She's worth a son to God. Someone worth a son to God, Jesus himself, giving his life. She's in our midst. That's amazing. Look around, everybody. Really, I mean it, don't quit looking at me. I've only got five minutes left. Look around at each other. You're looking into people of infinite worth. And when we leave here, you won't lay eyes on anybody who doesn't have immeasurable worth, nor is anybody that we lay eyes on not eternal. It's terrible English, but you get what I'm saying. It changes the way we treat each other and treat opportunities. Now, I gotta end with this. One person didn't see it that way. Let's look at the guy who had one talent. You know the story, Katie read it. They leveraged it, each one had different talents. It's not about having more than or less than. It's about what you do with what God gave you. But let's look at the one person who had terrible vision and we'll see what he did with his talent. Then the man who received, verse 24, one bag of gold, came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. This is not a compliment. This means harsh, demanding, Violent, severe. Harvesting where you hadn't sown. Gathering where you didn't scatter seed. You know what we call that? A thief. He's accusing this master. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here, here's what belongs to you. In other words, he didn't waste the master's money. He gave it all back to him. He wasted something way more valuable than the resource. You ready for this? And I, I really want you, uh, I don't wanna overplay this, but I really believe the Holy Spirit uh, is uh, wanting me to act, really accentuate this point. Didn't waste the master's resources. God has infinite resources. We only get so many opportunities and that's what he wasted, the master's opportunity. He hit it in the ground. Why? Because he saw the master as a harsh thief. And sadly, some Christians see God that way. This guy's story was this. I had my good life, and you had to come in and ruin it. Telling me to love my neighbor. Telling me to hold myself to purity till marriage. Telling me to give away my resources, 10% of them. I had my good life and I know better than you how to live my life. So yeah, I didn't think you were coming back. So I took what you gave me, put it in the ground, and continued on in my one and only life that you gave me. And the master comes back and goes, oh my gosh, you think I'm a thief? You think I'm harsh? That was your view of me? The difference between the two that doubled the master's investment and the one that buried it was vision and their view of God. What will make us, me, you, maximize the opportunity? What will help you on Monday morning? Your view of God. And seeing each day as a gift. And each relationship as a gift. It's not yours. It's not my marriage. She's not my wife of 27 years named Ann. Those aren't my five girls. It's not my car. It's not my dining room table and who I want to sit around it. It's God's. That's how you live, my friends, into a greater story. What that will do is get you up in the morning. See, the reality is, and and I'll close with this, the reality is God doesn't get down on our desires because they're so strong. I think he gets down on our desires because they're too weak. We're not desiring the right thing. And that's not original, I gotta play my cards. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book on Heaven, Lewis was a Oxford professor, came to Christ later in life. Reading him is like reading a portal because he's so well read into the greats of literature. And he said this in his book, uh, The Weight of Glory. Can we go to that last slide? We'll close with this. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, which is where the third point that we can't get to goes. And the staggering pictures of rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures. We're fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. So where's God aligning your vision? When we Googled that Howard Costello painting, I had a choice to make. Either go with my original assessment or go with Google's. And I think God's bringing us with that same choice today. You've heard the word. You've seen how he views the Christian life, how he views you, how we should view each other. Whose value are you going to bank on? God invites us all to live a life so yielded to him that a ripple effect goes into eternity. That's the offer, friends. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord thank you so much for uh where do we begin thank you for this moment thank you for this breath thank you for the heartbeat thank you for the heart. thank you for relationships thank you for every person in this room god lift our eyes to see you and open our hands to hold things the way you want us to hold them god use our lives have a huge difference, a huge impact, to take what you've given us and maximize it for your glory. Pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at werpcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for we Are PCC.